You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends. Welcome back to Practically Pastoring. My name is Frank, and I am glad that you are here. Only some of us are here today, but we are very excited to be here today. Up in Baltimore, Maryland, we got Jeffrey Simpson. What up, what up? Down in uh, alone, but usually he has his buddy with him, but we have down in Florida, Andrew Larson. Greetings and salutations. Andrew, I like how you're sitting off center like for Tim's seat. <laughs> he never this sits is... in it. It's like Elijah's seat, but Tim. Yeah, it's his seat next to me. He was here earlier this morning, but he's got adult responsibilities now, and so he can't just hang out with me all day. And with adult responsibilities, we have Tim Miller. Hello, friends. Miss you guys and girls. What are you responsible for today, children? I have a child and a dog in my care. Mm. Nice. So if you hear the TV in the background, that's what that is. How has your past week been? Uh, It's been interesting. My uh, uh, church stuff is cool. Everything went like a normal service, so that was nice. Um, We had a funeral here on Saturday. Uh, for kind of like one of the matriarchs of the church, but uh, she left the same year in the spring that I came in the fall. And uh, unfortunately, she she kind of declined after she left. She went to live, I think, in North Carolina with some family or something. Um, but she stayed in touch and would write me um, emails once in a while and uh, and communicate through other people that she was watching online and you know was, liked what we were doing since I got here and all that. So Uh, It was a pretty, it was the fullest our building has been since COVID. Um, And I mean, I I found myself a little bit like, oh, gosh, I don't want this to, you know, end up on the news. We're a super spreader, like, because you know how that would go. Um, But so far, so good. There was like probably, probably close to 100 people in the building, which is, our building is small. That's a lot. Um, Like if we had a service with 50 or 60 people, it would feel full in the room, so. It was it was packed in there pretty tight and uh, a lot of older folks, though, and I'd say roughly half the people were wearing masks, even though we didn't require them. So um, so that was, you know, that was interesting to see, like all these old relationships that existed in the church before I got there and people were introducing me to people. And so it was kind of nice. I basically ran the tech booth for the thing and I did the opening and then uh, the guy who was preaching was supposed to close in prayer. But like he closed his sermon and said, I'm going to ask Pastor Jeff to come up and close and give a benediction. So I had to kind of uh, come up and close. So good. It, thankfully, I was paying attention to his sermon. So I was able to kind of I felt like a little bit like, is this what a campus pastor does? You come up after the guy and and you summarize and you give a benediction and then you shake hands. It was pretty you, cool. The number one rule when you're campus pastor service hosting is you don't repeat the sermon. We get told yes. that a lot. Don't repeat the sermon. Oh, man. I tell the guys, because the way we do communion is at the end of the service. So I tell our guys, like, hey, listen, the communion meditation is like five minutes. It doesn't need to be another sermonette. And there's one guy in particular who gives like 25-minute communion meditations after the 35-minute sermon. So, But yeah, uh, weekend was good. The only thing going on in our world that's different is my wife has some mysterious back injury. So that has put me in the mix of like, you know, more of the things that she would normally take care of, especially we have an infant in the house. So it's been a lot of that. So last night I stayed up a little later than I would have and got some things done that I would normally do this morning so that this morning I could be stay at the house kind of like Tim and, uh, you know, help with the kids and all that. So, yeah, it's been an interesting week. Guys, I kind of did a bad thing yesterday. I don't know. I don't know if it classifies as a bad thing, but it was you know, so the church plant that had requested to use our building for five months uh-huh. via text message, because that's how you ask for a five-month uh, <laughs> usage agreement. They're in one of the community centers that's a couple blocks away from the church, and I'd seen pictures of their first service. And like, you know how you can tell if there's like the creative angles taken yeah. in the church's pictures? And so I just, I just wanted to see for myself. So... uh the community center requests that you wear a mask. And so when you're wearing a hat and a mask, you can just like walk right in and peek. And uh, even if people know you, they don't know who you are. So I wanted to see for myself. So I went and checked out their second ever service um, just to poke my nose in and count heads so that I could feel better about our attendance yesterday. Is that bad? Is that shady? I think you might want to explore where that's coming from is all I'm going to say. It's exploring 
just the personalities of the people that, that are doing this planting. And um, I just had to see for myself. And let me tell you, I felt way better about our Sunday of, <laughs> you know, 60 or so people after popping my head into that. Was it wow. their launch Sunday? or No, they... last Sunday was their launch. And so oh. this was their second. So I was like, had looked at their pictures and I knew that people had like come in from out of town for their launch. And I was like, hmm. As a newly launched campus, I mean, if I just showed you the photos from the launch day, you would think that like we should have opened a third service. And that's not where we are right now. You know what I'm saying? So like, I think, I think um, any launch can draw on a huge group of numbers, but, uh, but now is the, and there's no, this is no criticism to whoever this church plan is. I don't know if I'm like, supposed to know who they are because they're in florida but like now that you're you not the, the long arduous task of actually you know being the church in the ordinary time after the launch so ooh, good liturgy reference nice boys we had a really solid sunday yesterday uh, similar to jeff where the building was almost uncomfortably too crowded so we're going to add chairs this week but it was just one of those services where there was a lot of great feedback not because of a great sermon just but because of the vibe and the entire church, it, just Tim, the church it's okay. You can, you can say that you had a great sermon. The sermon we, we was respected. phenomenal. We, it was we know way that you too didn't long. write it anyway, so it's cool. Not. Just I, my I, people I, all know that I never come up with anything original up there. I say that uh, three three Sundays a month that nothing I say here is original, so they all know that. But what we did have was some just authentic Jesus moments happening, which was really really cool some great prayer time after service, and then multiple social media posts, not from Lakeview, but from nice. church members talking about what a great Sunday they had. So it was just a really cool day. Every now and then, it's good to have those days. Nice affirming Sunday. Exactly. Andrew, to go back to your thing, like uh, there is a church literally that I could walk to, the Baptist church. I may have talked about this. I don't remember if we were doing this or not back then, but I was preaching there last summer. And uh, I don't remember if we talked about it or not, but anyway... They are being replanted by some other Baptist church, like I think in North Carolina or Georgia. And uh, I am neighbors with somebody whose mom goes to that church and ended up, I ended up at a birthday party at the church after it was all like, suddenly there was signs saying new church with a new name and, uh, you know, all their social media stuff is blitzing. And I'm like, man, I would have loved to meet the pastor. Like what's going on? You know, all that stuff starts to happen in your head. So it, I am going to meet with the pastor uh, the next week or so. We're going to have coffee together. He seems like a cool guy. But uh, so I went to this birthday party totally like in spy mode. Like, what have they fixed in the building? What's going on in here? Ooh, I wonder what's happening. And, does their uh, stage look way more seeker friendly now? Does it look cool now? Yeah. Are their so bathrooms I, I get still it. gross? I get it. I, 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 get the, I get that feeling. I had a great service uh, um, just doing campus pastor things. Just, you know going on and off as Andrew likes to say, just telling how the good how good the show was and then uh and then praying it out. Uh but uh but in the evening I got to do something really, really fun. Um it was the launch of our um student ministry. So our student ministry season starts like next week or something like that. And um the youth pastor wanted me to come in and help train the volunteers on the the value, the importance of the leaders talking to the kids and the parents during the week, not just, you know, during the two hours of service. And so it was just cool. I got to put my youth pastor hat on and get in that space. And, and, uh, you know, just like an important, like, you know, transparency. It's, it's a moment of like, I miss it. And then I don't miss it. But at the same time, it's also like a reflection of like, this isn't my ministry anymore. Like in that room of leaders, only like three of them were people who actually served on my team and the rest were like new volunteers and it was just a moment of like, you know, good. This is like the next evolution of this ministry. It is what it is. And I'm going to be okay with it, you know? So that was fine. But Andrew, speaking of that uh, a campus, that that, that uh, church plant, you know what's a good way to build a relationship with that guy? Invite Invi him to the Practically Pastoring Conference? <laughs> Invite him to the Practically Pastoring Conference. We talked about this last week. Really, really excited. Tim is already, without asking for permission, giving out free registrations to people. Oh, was that not cool? Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> I didn't know about this. What? <laughs> I like how Andrew's like getting all businesses. Like the LLC is in my name, guys. Like, <laughs> let's not go bankrupt too quickly here. Um, but uh, but we are so excited. February twenty first to the twenty third 
this next, like in, in 22, uh, the Practically Pastoring Conference. If you go to practicallypastoringconference.com, you get all the information. And right now, up until uh, 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 October 1st, uh, you're going to get the lowest price you can get, $79. That's, I was not Even that, or seventy nine ninety nine, seventy nine flat, whatever oh, that means. Man. What a and, deal! And not that we're comparing ourselves to other other conferences because there's literally no other conference like this. Um, it's the cheapest conference around for sure. Like, and we can say that there's no other conference like this because we have no idea what this is going to be. <laughs> Andrew, don't don't give don't, don't make people think that like we have no idea what we're doing. We know no, no, something. No. We just don't know exactly how it's going to turn out. Yeah, that's yeah true. we've got plans. We've got a spreadsheet and stuff, yeah. but <laughs> this isn't something we can we can't compare it to something else because it hasn't actually happened yet. But here, here's what I know you can count on. It's going to be a great time. And, um, you know, in, the, in, the, in our Facebook group, we asked a couple of weeks ago, like, what do you look for in the conference? And a lot of people were describing things that we were already planning. So, a lot of like peer conversations of sitting in circles and talking about like what's going on in your ministry, what's going on in my ministry, kind of sharing ideas, um, you know, some fun elements that's not boring. Like there's that weird board game that you guys keep promoting on your other podcast that maybe there might be a breakout where we can play that board game. Oh, Bible, Bible Brawl, Brawl is Brawl. definitely happening. It's happening. <laughs> Isn't Delmar going to ride his motorcycle up on a stage at some point? <laughs> that's a ma- Is your church mega church enough for that? Can we, oh, yeah. Is, it, is, there, is there a Listen. Ramp? I worked at Fellowship Church, and I've seen Ed Young do all of these things before. So I think we should avoid that. As long as if you Dude, ride a motorcycle just, on the stage, you have to then like swing like Tarzan over the congregation. Dude, afterwards. If, I just had the mental picture of Delmar, and Delmar, you know, I don't think he would do this, but it would be hilarious of him like riding his motorcycle up on a stage and getting whiskey throttle and putting it right through the glass in your building too. <laughs> Well, we have had a motorcycle driven on stage before, but it was before my time. I don't think it went through the glass, though. Nice, Man. Nice. Nice. Well, hey, here's one thing we didn't talk about last week that someone asked this question. Um, is this, a, is this a, a conference that you can bring your wife to, your spouse to? Listen, it- I want to talk into this because this is how excited my wife is for this. Oh, go ahead. This is over her birthday. Okay. Her birthday is February 22nd. When I told her, hey, we're having the Practically Pastoring Conference and it's going to be your birthday is going to be in the middle. She said to me, and I, I'm not lying, quote unquote, she said, what better gift could I get? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing better. Nothing better. What could be better? Than going to the inaugural <laughs> conference yeah. of five guys who have a podcast. There's nothing better. <laughs> she said, I could not think of one thing I'd rather be doing on my birthday. Well, good news, guys. I got my vacation time approved for this, so I I can for sure come. I just got it approved yesterday, uh, <laughs> but I'm super stoked. Yes, spouses can come. We're we're hoping to have a spouses breakout um, just for this type of for just for this moment. Um, so yeah, the question may be then: Does my spouse get a discount? And so the answer to that is no, Heck because no. It's, it's already like the like the, the cost of the conference would be how much a spouse cost for a conference would be already. So just click two as an option when you get your tickets and bring your spouse. And, it is and, yeah. you can still use your continued continuing ed budget to pay for your spouse. Look, your executive pastor is only going to see the final tally on the receipt. That says $158. He'll think, what a cheap conference you're going to for $158. And you don't even have to be like, hey, by the way, that was for two spots. Yeah. Because my spouse Imagine is how me. much more he'll be excited when you come back and say, listen, not only did I get trained and equipped and networked, so did my spouse. Mm. It was a two for one. Mm. Not that your spouse should be a two for one free laborer for the church. That's a whole other issue. But yeah, <laughs> that's gonna be that's gonna be in the breakout <laughs> that we're gonna talk about. Anyways, it's such a good deal. But listen, the deal ends on October first, so you make sure that you lock this in before then. It's only seventy nine dollars. Go to practicallypastoringconference dot com. And I've said this before: if you sign up before October first, there's gonna be some other perks in this, some special love from us to you. You don't want to miss it. PracticallyPastoringConference.com. Hey, with that being said, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to dive into a clergy cliff note brought to us by Carrie Newoff.
And we're back. So today's clergy cliff note comes to us from a Carrie. Am I saying it right? Carrie Newhoff? Or is it Carrie like Newhoff? Is it- sure. <laughs> All right. I think the important thing is for you to spell it right now. Spell it now. N I E U W H O F. I have it on You're a looking paper. You're reading. <laughs> looking. Uh, now backwards. Go. Newhoff is like it's like it's like the word significant. You can't spell it off the bat quickly. You know what word I always misspell in my sermon manuscripts is the word because. I always <laughs> spell it B E C A S U E. Like every time I look through my manuscript, there's little red dotted lines, and it's the word bikasu. It should be because I misspelled gospel. The E L L E. I never quite get that figured out ever. It's bad. It's really, really bad. I'm the world's worst speller. I was a straight C student in English and language arts all through middle school. And then I got to high school and suddenly we didn't have the weekly spelling test every year. And I became a straight A student. My parents thought I was cheating. They're like, no, no, no. I just can't spell anything and never, ever have been able to. It's It's always a slight moment of like, decision making when i have to decide whether or not to put a theological or like a like bible word in the dictionary for grammarly so it doesn't autocorrect i'm like ah, i don't use this enough to really justify it but i do use it in sermons but it's not a word it recognizes i don't know what to do here yeah grammarly doesn't get the bible because no. i get a lot of errors but hey we are in a carrying new off article pastors here's why everyone is so mad at you right now. <laughs> and so uh so he gives kind of three reasons why. I want to I want to ask I want to I want to do it a little differently. I want to okay. ask I want to phrase the the reason why he thinks people are mad at you and I want to ask you if this if you feel like this is true at your church, okay? And maybe you give a little context. So the first one he says is this is that 95% of all problems in your church right now have nothing to do with the church. You feel like that's a true statement? Yes, in a sense. Explain. Well, I mean, I think people being frustrated about masks or not masks or whatever, or whatever COVID policy we have to have because of whatever happens, I think, I guess ultimately that doesn't really have anything to do with the church because, I mean, the gospel and what we talk about and even Christian community has nothing to do with mandates the government tells us, you know, we have to do or not do. But it ends up spilling over into the church. And so, yes, I, I agree with what he's saying, that this, that problem at its root really doesn't have anything to do with the church. And it honestly doesn't have that much to do with your leadership. It just has to do with people being frustrated about life. Um, and I think one thing I've noticed is sometimes it seems like it's hard for people to remember that, like, we're going through this, too. So, you know, sometimes I I feel like sometimes I get treated like, I'm not also going through a pandemic with the rest of everybody else and shopping at stores with people with masks like everybody else. And it's almost like people have an expectation that's unreasonably different for a pastor because, you know, whatever position we have, we're supposed to be like spiritual superheroes who never get affected by anything. Yeah. And I think this can also help us as pastors, this, this first point here to, (laughs) to realize that we don't have to take, every criticism personally there's usually an underlining reason something else is going on at the core i think carrie highlighted a couple of things like a a marriage issue a work issue they're under a ton of stress and then you add on the pandemic stuff you're like there's a lot happening in personal lives and then it kind of bubbles over into church life so usually it's every now and then you have that like legitimate church problem but for the most part there's always something underneath the surface there i always phrase it as it's the bangs after the breakup because you can't control what you can't control. And so someone gets dumped. And so their first thought is to go out and get a new haircut because, well, I can't get the relationship back together. I can't, you know, fix what's broken, but I can pull off bangs now. And so, you know, they go and they, they try to control what they can control. And we have so many people that they can't control work. They can't control whatever the corporation's policy is going to be. But the church, well, that's a smaller group of people, and maybe they're a deacon, maybe they're an elder, maybe they have a voice. And so I'm going to express my frustration with where I spend 50 hours a week at the place that I spend two hours a week. So I I get that. It's, it's really easy to not be offended right now because everybody is so easily offended that you can be the one person that's like, you know what? I'm good. I'm going to choose to not be offended. The next thing he said was distance and division have made people 
ruder and bolder. I think this is hundred percent fact. A hundred percent fact. There's yeah. people who I think were gentle and meek and mild, and something happened in this time where they are none of that anymore. And and um, you know, some people have said that like this past election cycle has brought out the worst in people and because they've seen they're seeing other people like give permission to being rude and and angry and stuff uh it sucks that you see it in the church you know what i'm saying because now everything is like every conversation is like a defending of truth moment like it, you know here i am not, i'm not gonna say i was gonna quote that verse from isaiah but that is now in our cultural zeitgeist i'm not gonna do that but like it's uh it's uh you know Way to I have, go there. here's my big stance i have to fight for this and it's like we're literally talking about yeah i can't tell you how many times stuff. somebody has told me like well we have to stand up for what's right and i'm like this is it though <laughs> this, this is, is the thing the line in the sand that you want to draw is over First a paper of all, mask i don't even know where you get that idea that christians are supposed to stand up for what's right and defend ourselves i don't Vegetables. Like, I don't know where that idea is stand specifically up, stand articulated. Up for what you believe, and in, second believe of all, believe in, believe in God. He's the one to back you up. We'll stand second of all, you. second of all, Andrew, come on. Second of all, I don't know why that gives you a, an excuse to be a jerk about it. It's like it's just so crazy. Like people are people have we have given ourselves over to worldliness so much. And we don't even realize it because it's like it's all about, you know, owning the libs or whatever. And I'm just like, but why? Like, I, I just I, I find myself dumbfounded a lot. Like, what what are we doing? Especially, like, Tim, like you said, you feel like you preach a decent sermon. And then someone comes up to you the next week and is like telling you something or at lunch right after the sermon. And you're like, were you not in there for half an hour with me? <laughs> What's funny about the rudeness that I've seen is it hasn't been so much in person. I just feel like everyone's really bold online now. Yeah. I've seen a lot of people who weren't very political or anti this or anti that before, but now like their their social media presence has has gone to a whole other level. And it's a lot like of flip the switch. People, yeah, it's a lot of people in our in the church. And so I'm just you know as pastors, how do we pastor that? It gets yeah. it gets sticky. It's funny, too, because it's the same, like, what I've noticed, it's the same age bracket of people that when I was a kid in youth group were constantly talking to me about keeping my witness a certain way. You can't drink because of your witness. You can't do this because of your witness. And now they're literally just giving away their witness on social media. And that's what's, like, it's just insane to watch. But I totally agree with the premise here that, like, people are not with each other in a room. So they're willing to just you know, say things they would never say. I mean, I, I, I feel like this is a kind of a cliche. It's like, I can't attribute it to one person, but like, it's hard to hate someone when you're like in close proximity to them. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like if you're actually doing life with people who are different than you, it's hard to come up with caricatures of them to hate them. You know what I'm saying? And, and I think that like, because we were all forced to isolate it was much easier to create those caricatures. And sadly, I think we we um, we purposely reinforced those caricatures by not bringing people close to each other. You know what I'm saying? By, yeah. by saying, well, I don't want to change my perspective on this. So therefore, I refuse to even be in community in the, with, these, right. with these alternative views. Um, the, the third thing he says is that you're also a little agitated too. Now, without jumping to the, to the solution or the prescription that he gives, I think that like this is actually really good in the sense that I found to myself that I need to ca I catch myself when I read a, a, an article or some tweets or something that of, of things that kind of get me riled up that I realize that if I never read this, I wouldn't be upset at the person. And that like, like there's people I have opinions of that. I don't know why I even have opinions of them because I don't know them. And if I've never seen their Twitter account, if I never read their article, I wouldn't have these kind of these like agitated feelings towards them or stuff like that. And so I sometimes I catch myself and I have to think like, am I just like allowing myself or feeding into the beast by going on social media and seeing these posts or, or reading these articles yeah. or watching these videos? Like I'm like kind of feeding the beast and like purposely like setting myself for failure in this. And therefore when I talk to people in my own congregation 
who I start getting whiffs of similar thoughts that I'm already agitated against. I already like have an, it, like I'm coming into the meeting already agitated yeah. and not wanting to talk to them or not want, or, or assuming that I already know all their problems and that's not healthy. That's not healthy for me. What else about you guys? I think this also comes back to what Jeff said a few minutes ago, that we are also going through this pandemic. We've never been here just like everyone else. We've never pastored through this. Some of us are relatively new in our position. So not only are we learning how to pastor well, we're also learning how to do it in the midst of the pandemic. So yeah, I I think we we, we can get a little agitated too, but I like how you framed it. Frank, when you know that there's there's something else happening, that you're going into that meeting agitated, knowing that can make all the difference. I think like I've heard pastors who have been, you know, decades and decades as a senior pastor talking about how difficult it is and they've never seen anything like this before. And then I'm like, I've been doing this for four years. So like, you know, of course, I got to give myself a little grace too. like I, I don't know what I'm doing in the middle of a pandemic trying to make decisions. Um, but yeah, I mean, Frank, what you said is so true. Like I, I find in myself that like attitude of almost like I go into something with an attitude of like, I wish you would say something like I, you know what I mean? I find myself like walking in and that is a big sign of like, it could be a sign of something like burnout, um, where you're just like really, really, really exhausted and you don't realize it cause you're just running the rat race. And then you know, it could just be a sign that you need to like, you know, pause and take a break. And really, I would even say like, it it might be a sign to talk to a counselor, like as pastors, I think that's really a healthy thing to do. um, Because they'll help you process things and articulate things that you're feeling. Um, You know, I I think I felt like I was listening to this on another podcast that I listened to. But um, that, you know, as pastors, especially in smaller churches, it can feel like we're the only ones that have been pulling the rope during the last year and a half, like everybody is just kind of given up or they're off mission. This may or may not be true, but that's what it feels like. And so, yeah, I find myself a little bit agitated now, like somebody misses a Sunday and I'm like, really? Come on. And it's like the grace that I had before COVID is just like gone. And I'm just like, so prone to like, you know, overcorrect and like, you need to be, get back to this or you need to, and not realize that the way I'm thinking about people is actually sinful too. That's good. So this is some of the solutions he have. He gave, he gave us three. Uh, grieve your losses, get around some life-giving people, and embrace a sustainable pace before it's too late. I think all three of those are good in any and every situation. Um, but I think, like, one, one thing i kind of been praying about in my own soul in this current season is when people walk away from our church – that I don't have this like good riddance attitude, you know what I'm saying? That like, well, you know, let me cut my losses. You know, it was it's better for them to leave, yeah, and like have some kind of like holier than thou. Like they were you know, immature anyway. What's the, I always forget that. Yeah, but what's that like? What's that like? Um, separating the wheat from the chaff is that how, is that the phrase or whatever? Like, yeah. I don't want I don't want to have that attitude because I feel like that's like. Not at all what the Lord is talking about when he when he when you're using those using those descriptions in the scripture, and I think that's like my own sinfulness trying to justify whatever pain I'm going through at the moment. So grieving your losses, and then yeah, getting around some life giving people. This is why we have a podcast. This is why we're having the conference is to have those life giving people in our lives because sometimes the life giving people need to be people outside of our own congregation because the people in our congregation are a little too close to the situation for them to help me. And also give me that life I need. Um, what do you guys think about these three prescriptions that he gives? I think the grieve your losses thing is incredibly important. Because um, like you said, it's easy to play it off like we don't get hurt by people leaving the church. Even people that have frustrated us. Like people that were frustrating, they still, when they leave, you still feel it. Because you're like, man, it's not healthy for a church to lose. You know, it's not healthy for a family to lose people. Um, so, you know, you have to grieve you have to at least name that and, you know, go through some of that process of grieving so you don't, you know, end up bottling it all up. But I also think in that, like, it's really important to grieve your own. Um, I mean, incompetence might be too strong of a word, but 
to grieve the reality that it's it is possible that people will leave your church because you've made bad leadership decisions. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean you're a bad pastor. It just means you're a human and you make mistakes. And sometimes those mistakes as a leader do cost you somebody leaving. Um, and, and, and it may even be just a decision that you made that they didn't like that is a kind of a neutral, you know, morally neutral decision, but they didn't like it and they left and that hurts because, you know, the reality, I mean, my insecurities are that I want to, I want people to like me. So when people leave the church, it really just makes that flare up in me. And I really have to, you know, I have to mainly talk through it with my wife and then, you know, spend time just kind of bringing that to the Lord in prayer and journaling and stuff for me. Because otherwise, you know, I will just then go, I can find myself being in a place of being this really insecure, fragile leader. And that doesn't help anybody. I think for me, it's the embracing a sustainable pace, especially going through this pandemic when we saw every church around us ramping everything up, whether it was online or Zoom or let's try this and do this. And not that we shouldn't be trying new ideas and doing fresh things, we should, but there comes to a point when you have to realize here's who we are as a church. Here's what we can handle uh, as a staff, as a volunteer base, and here's what we cannot. So that's a, that's something that we've been talking about a lot as elders uh, with our staff and with our key volunteers. We, uh, when I stepped into my position as lead pastor, uh, I counted the the ministries that we said we, we offered and it was 39 we're, we're a church of 200 people. That's that's too many ministries. So we whittled that down to nine core ministries, and that has helped tremendously, helped us and our leadership team uh, embrace a sustainable pace. Can, can I ask you guys a question on this, though? I'd like to dive a little deeper under the surface for me. Um, Tim, you, you, know, you, you did a really good job articulating, like, you have to be able to know who you are and name, you know, 39 is too much for us. But what I find in myself is that that's where, for me, the most like frustration and um, insecurity, I guess, boils up because I want to be the guy that can handle thirty nine things to for almost sure. to almost like prove myself to myself or I guess to other people around me, like to get completely vulnerable. You know, like I I know that I can probably only handle five, but I want to show everybody that I can handle fifteen or twenty. And be and it's like that hero complex, and I think that during COVID was really really hard to you know because I was I will say some of the things that I did during COVID that I thought would be helpful. I think part of the motivation for me doing them probably was to try to almost to try to prove my own worth to myself. Like let me do a daily devotional, let me do a Wednesday night Zoom thing, and then when people weren't interested in it. It really, like, because I set it up that way in my own soul, it was really devastating. And then I end up at the place where I'm agitated at everybody for stuff they don't even know they did to me. And I think so much of it is it wasn't just the the little group of people that could see us. As, you know, Jeff and I, you and I pastor the smallest churches on, in the group here. It was, hey, hey, big boys, look what we're doing. Yeah. We, might be, we might be a church, 50, 60 people, but look what we can do. And we knew that eyes that would never look at the inside of our worship center on a Sunday morning typically were looking in. And so the temptation to try to, you know, put ourselves out there or to seem like, oh, wow, they, they've really got this little niche of ministry down and they're doing a great thing over there. There was, there was certainly some ego mm -hmm. in there. But I think that's why the prescriptions, if you will, for you know the the treatment to all the stuff that Carrie was talking about makes so much sense because the more you surround yourself with other people, the more self aware you're going to become. It's hard to have conversations like the five of us have every week and not be self aware of what you and your church are doing. And I think this season has isolated so many people, and I think a lot of pastors that I talk to have been more isolated. And I think quite frankly, there's, there's a demographic thing. There's an age thing where all of us in our thirties were perfectly comfortable jumping on here, being with other pastors each and every week. There's a whole segment of the clergy population that is not comfortable being vulnerable with people in this way. And I think when, when I read this article, it was kind of like, okay, Carrie, like I get what you're saying, but you're kind of making everything a bit more extreme 
than it actually is. Like, I don't feel like everybody's mad at me. I don't, you know, I don't feel this. I don't feel that. And part of that is because it's, it's Carrie's job. Like he's, he gets paid by clicks. That's, you know, when, when you operate a blog like that, you want people to want to click on it and you have to take more extreme views, but also he's in an age bracket where I think people are more affected by the seclusion that they've been, that they've felt during the past 18 months. And he's in Canada where a lot of the churches still are not open for in-person worship, which has to also make things a lot different. Yeah, I agree, Andrew. (laughs) I've had a lot of really gracious people at Lakeview who've, most of them have come alongside and said, man, this, this must have been so tough for you having to make all these decisions. And my, my normal response is, well, you guys have actually made it kind of easy because I really haven't taken a lot of flack, even for the stuff that I completely goofed. So I don't know if some of us are just in really, really healthy spots or we just have some really kind and generous people or everyone's just talking about me behind my back. Well, I, I don't think that's the case, but I think it is also true, like in my church, I have to actively remind myself that, you know, th- there might be, it might feel like everybody's mad at me. And actually, I think I heard this on a, on a Carrie Newhoff podcast as well. If you like sit down with a piece of paper and a pen and write the names down of people who you actually know are frustrated at you, it ends up being a very small list. But, you know, those people can tend to take up the majority of your time. So I know that like my wife and I, we will you know, as pastors and their wives do talk about things going on at the church. And it's like, there is a short list of last names that consistently get mentioned. And I will find myself being like, look, like we don't need to like, they don't need to consume every hour of our life with us talking about how this happened and that happened. And then I'm frustrated about this. And it's like, we have to, we have to let this go and move on and not allow this one small group of people to make it feel like everybody is mad at us, because it's not true. Jeff, that's really good. Uh, Larry Osborne, in his book, Sticky Teams, he says that he does not allow his staff or his elders to use the word they. Yeah, They have to use their names. And he said when he instituted that rule, suddenly the they comments got really, really small because the they's were, all, were always very few amount of people. It was never yep. this huge group. Or some people think. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I also think that, you know, we, we do this 40, 50, 60 hours a week and the people that might be frustrated with us, if we're being honest, they do this two hours a week. Maybe, maybe they put two hours a week into the church and it's kind of like being frustrated with your favorite sitcom character when, you know, they're, they're not Hmm. acting the way you do to us. It is a big, all encompassing, all consuming deal to them. It's like, oh yeah, that's a, that's a, that's annoying but they get over it. It's not as big of a deal. Now like we've mask issues, COVID issues. These are all people, you know, asking masks into their heart, it seems, or people, you know, claiming being an anti-vaxxer as one of the points of Calvinism or whatever it might be in different, in different faith sects that people are taking way too seriously. But just in general, the frustrations that people feel with us as pastors, I don't think consume their thoughts the way that our frustrations and our frustrations at people being frustrated with us consume our thoughts. Cause I, I think I often been saying like, there's a lot of people who don't like my sermons, but if I wrote down the list of names who people who've actually critiqued my sermons, it's probably like three people <laughs> like total, you know, yeah, that's really, really, really good. Hey, uh, we're going to take a quick break. And, uh, and when we come back, we're going to go into our main discussion Kind of on a close topic about like difficult conversations. Um, so uh, we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hey, we are back, and uh, I want to I want to talk about. We've talked about like d- how to have difficult conversations, but I actually want to talk about some real like meat on the bones, practical discussions that we've had that were difficult. And I want to kind of put it into two segments. The first segment is conversations that you were uh, like meetings you were about to have that, you know, that you thought were going to be difficult, but ended up being very, very fine and like not a big deal. And like kind of maybe speaking to why you were so worried about it. 
and, and, and talk about how it actually went. And then the other side of this I want to talk about is meetings and conversations that you knew was going to be difficult that ended up being difficult and just kind of like what you learned from it and how it went. So I'll, I'll go first because my first uh, – the, the for the first question, when it comes to a meeting I was dreading, I, there was this uh, – I'm sure like all of us get like these random emails um, from either random congregants or new people who are just attending the church for the first time. And they'll ask like a specific like theological question or a, th- a specific question about the church. And like even in the question, you kind of are like reading like, I know why they asked this question, you know. And and so this 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 one woman who was already serving in our church asked me a question and said, uh, first off, I love how she asked the question. She said, you talk a lot about speaking in tongues in your sermons. And so I feel like you may be the best person to ask. And I like looked at other people I'm like, I've never talked about speaking in tongues. Like I have never preached on First Corinthians. Like there's, I'm, I don't think I preached on uh, Pentecost and Acts. Like there's never been a time I've talked about speaking in tongues. Maybe because I slur when I speak. Like maybe they thought I was speaking in tongues on stage or something. I don't know. All I know is she felt she she wanted to hear the answer from me. And so I was just nervous because I knew she came from a Pentecostal background. And I think the fear came from disappointing her. Like I was afraid I was going to disappoint her, that our church wasn't going to be the place for her. And like she was already serving and all this other stuff. And I was like, I'm about to ruin the day for a lot of people. This person who's who who's asking the question, the serving team that she's on, all like I was like I didn't want to, I was not looking forward to it, and ultimately uh, we talked about it, and it was much more neutral. She it was more. She came from a humble thing where she said, "I came from a Pentecostal background, but as I've been doing more research, some of the tenets that I found that was true about speaking in tongues in the Pentecostal world are not what I'm seeing in Scripture, and I want to know just from a pastor, like, what do you think about this?" And it was a really, really good conversation. And we don't, I mean, we don't have to go into the details of how I answered the conversation, answered the question. But the point is, is that going into the conversation, I was nervous from like, you could say like a fear of, I guess a fear of man might be too strong, but just like a, I didn't want to disappoint her. I didn't want to, I didn't want to lose her as a volunteer. I didn't want to have this conversation where it might be her walking away angry. And it ended up being a conversation that like I encourage you at the end, asked her, hey, let's do this again because I feel like there's more questions you have. Let's talk some more. <laughs> and so what's an example of that that you guys have had that's like similar where you were nervous going in, but it ended up being fine? This one's actually pretty recent. I just want to be careful because you know if I share stories about current staff members or current volunteers and like every everything ended up being just fine, but I had a had an issue situation come up over over summer and I had a staff member make a request that didn't sit well with me. So I was really nervous as to how to approach answering that request and you know i sought guidance went to my elders and and i just i worked this thing up in my head i was you know i was like losing sleep talking to my wife and finally we set a meeting to 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 just hash things out and talk through it and we did it over lunch over a meal which i always recommend doing because that helps and he totally understood like it ended up going great he he just wanted to hear my heart i was able to hear his heart and it was just one of those things that i had worked up for probably five weeks where it was just in my head. This is going to be bad. I'm going to lose a staff. I didn't lose a staff member. I we're, we're closer now as a result of actually having this conversation. It was one of those emails that went to a text, went back to an email. And it was like, no, we, we need to talk about this in person. And then we did, we worked through it. And now we're, we're a stronger team as a result, but I'm sure you guys have been there. I had a wonderful, wonderful small group leader as a youth pastor who I had to remove from being a small group leader. And it was a conversation that I knew was coming. She knew it was coming. And, you know, some some life choices had been made. Some circumstances were out of control. And it it was just, you know, you had to rip the Band-Aid off. And I had kind of put it off because it was, it was summertime and our small groups weren't meeting. And so then, you know, well, this person is attending something, but they're not actually in a leadership role. Do we do anything? And I had like built it up to be a, this, this big conversation that was going to be yelling and shouting. It was, oh no, I completely understand. I get it. You know, when this circumstance changes, I'd love to be back involved. And 
I literally heard from that small group leader two days ago. It's been five years since we had that conversation. And two days ago, got like a funny text. Hey, hey, thought you'd get a kick out of this. And there was no issue. There was no long-term hurt. And yet I had built it up in my head to be, this is going to be the be all end all. It's going to be a line in the sand. People in the church office are going to, you know, choose this person over me because they've been a member of the church for 20 years. And I'm just the youth guy that's been here for the past five and zero issue at all with any of that. My story that I thought of where I'm building up this like fear and then it goes better than I thought is back from worship leading days uh, with a person who was a singer and she, I made the mistake of not doing uh, some kind of audition and she got up on the stage and it was so bad, so bad, but I could tell that it really meant a lot to her. And so I really didn't want to have to tell her like, Hey, you know, there, maybe there's another place to serve or maybe we can think about voice lessons or something. How do you feel about the greeting team in the parking lot? Yeah. Or maybe the nursery, you know? Um, so thankfully one of the things I've always done is record, um, a lot, some version of like a live recording of music. And I mainly do it, you know, did it just to back then I was really into like listening to myself to really, you know, critique all the little things I was doing and all that. But thankfully I had that recording. So I was able to, you know, schedule a meeting with her and it was like, it ended up where she knew what I was going to say before I got there. And I knew what I was going to say, but I didn't know that she knew that I knew. And so I was really nervous about this. Like she was going to take it terribly. And so she did actually take it kind of not great at the beginning of the meeting. Like, I can't believe you're saying this to me. You know, I've been on so many worship teams and I was like, well, you know, I, I understand that, but you know, let's listen to the recording together. So we listened together and she just started breaking down crying and finally said, actually, thank you for being honest with me. I've been on a bunch of worship teams where they just turned the mic down and didn't say anything. And, you know, thank you for actually telling me the truth. And so that was a meeting. That was the first time I had a meeting like that where like <clears throat> it went way better than I expected it to go in like a, in like a weird left turn, you know, kind of way. So <clears throat> that was, uh, that was a long time. <clears throat> I'm not, <clears throat> I'm choking. <clears throat> I was eating these almonds right here. Wow. Well, this segment went worse than I thought it was going to go. <laughs> so anyway, all right, it all ended good, and uh, she she stayed at the church, but not on the worship team, and uh, that was great, man. That is going to be talked about for ages. That story right there. <laughs> what about um <clears throat> the alternative, like where you had this dread going to the conversation, and it was an actual difficult conversation? Uh, again. Like Tim was hinting towards that. I know these are like real people and these might be like in your church right now. So like you can be as vague as you need to. The biggest thing is kind of like what you learn from that conversation. Because what what I'm hearing from the first one is that like almost a lot of conversations we have as pastors are going to be hard, but it doesn't always mean the outcome is going to be terrible either. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes like the setup is always harder than the actual conversation. So just go into those conversations and let the Lord carry it because it might still end badly. Because how many times have you gone into a good conversation to end poorly? I mean, like I know I've been, you know, like oh, this is gonna be a great day, and you're at the end, like, am I am I gonna quit because this was a hard day, right? Like we've all been there too. My so, first elders meeting, I thought it was gonna be great, and this lady, the matriarch of the church, turned and looked at me. It, like the conversation took a weird turn and it got heated, and mm. she turned and looked at me. And this was the first time I was an elder. I was very young and said, "What? And what is this moron doing in here?" Whoa! <laughs> wow. <laughs> So that yeah. meeting went way different than I thought it was going to go. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. I right, had a meeting that like, I, I just, from the minute it started, I knew it was going to be disastrous. And this is, I mean, it's probably seven, eight years old now. Uh, and still it's probably gonna be one of those like defining events of my ministry career. There was a, student in the youth or youth ministry age was not involved in the youth ministry because she was too mature for the youth group. One of those types, we've all had them. Right. And I, uh, she was like a 
freshman, sophomore in high school. And this is, you know, a little bit of the earlier days of social media than we are now. Not as many parents were, you know, having their own Instagram or whatever it may be. And she had a very, very uh, PG-13 rated social media channels that she was running that I was blocked from as the past, as the youth pastor at her church. But she also happened to be on the praise team at the church. And so the mom of a kid in the youth group came to me and said, Hey, you're blocked, but this is public information for everybody else. And it was, I mean, it was raunchy stuff, especially for a 15 year old to be posting. And it was brought to my attention with a, you need to do something about this or I'm sending it to the pastor. And so I went into the associate pastor's office and was like, look, I don't want to touch this with a 12-foot pole. This family already doesn't like me. Please take care of it. And so I left and took other kids to a baseball game. It was a day game against the Orioles that day, Jeff, and got back from the game and had uh, in the uh, associate pastor was like, hey, um, senior pastor and I talked and we want you to handle it. And I was like, oh boy, okay. And basically the way that it was spun was, uh, we just we don't want this family because the family was influential in the church. We don't want them to know that the associate pastor or senior pastor has any knowledge of this whatsoever. And it was bad. It was like a you know I felt betrayed in this family. You know how how dare I, you know, let the worship leader know that this was going on when the associate pastor let the worship leader. It was just this awful awful experience that years later this family still dislikes me because um, of all of it. And it was just, you know what, I could have just gone directly to the family and been like, hey, here's this situation. I don't know how to respond because clearly you don't make youth ministry a priority and yada, yada. But here's what's going on with your child. Another parent in the church brought it to my attention and that would have sucked, but it would have sucked way less than it ultimately end up sucking if by me going to other people with the situation. And it was just the lesson of have the difficult conversation instead of trying to get out of being the one to have the difficult conversation. I, I mean, I think, man, what well, you just said something is like every like non-senior pastor's nightmare is to be forced in the situation and you feel like you have no support from your direct report or your senior pastor. Like that is crippling. It's the worst, fear. man. It's yeah. the worst. Because you're just basically just like you're the scapegoat in that situation. And, and literally like a- the senior pastor said, um, this is a family I have a long term relationship with. I don't want her to feel awkward giving me a hug or whatever it is. Or, you know, if I'm doing her wedding in five years, I don't want there to be awkwardness there. So I don't want her. I don't want them to know that I have any knowledge of this whatsoever. And so it was basically decided you don't have a relationship with this family, but we do. So fall on the sword. That's hard. What about you guys? Well, uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but about two years ago, Lakeview went through a pretty big uh, transformation process. We had our- what? COVID wasn't that long story. ago, bro. What? Founding pastor resigned. A lot of chaos but, but ensued. But like with a lot of notice, right? Like he resigned with under good terms. <laughs> Under, under good terms, not on a holiday. So it was Had a October plan in place. October of 2019 when I was officially voted in as lead pastor of Lakeview. And around that same time, we had some elders on the board who uh, probably didn't want to see me get voted in, but knew that it was inevitable and it was going to happen. So there was one elder in particular who, for whatever reason, he loved meeting on Sundays right after church. And I and I had told him several times, that's just really not good for me. It's not good for my family. I just finished preaching. I'm, I'm not in the frame of mind to come into a serious meeting directly after the sermon. He didn't care. Uh, so he had asked to meet and I said, okay. You work for him, Tim. And that was his mentality. <laughs> so I, uh, I went over to my office after preaching, waited on him for 10, 15 minutes. He didn't show up. So I hopped in the van with my family and we left and I got about three minutes away from the church and he texted me and said, uh, Tim, where are you? And I said, well, you, I left. You weren't there. I left. Well, I'm here now. Can you please turn around? So I did. 
I turned around, went back to my office, and we chatted for about an hour in which he proceeded to tell me, um, you need to tell your father to stop coming to this church because you need to man up without your daddy around and prove to him that you can do this on your own. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that meeting did not go well. Uh, his his attitude, his spirit, I, I, I was really proud of myself because I didn't say a word. I just sat there and took it because I didn't, I knew that anything that was going to come out of my mouth would, would not have been good in that setting. Uh, turns out he did end up resigning about three weeks later after another really uncomfortable meeting where he set me up for failure, uh, bombarded me and brought in outsiders that I had no idea were going to be in the meeting and then proceeded to shout at me, like actual raise his voice. And one point during that meeting, I said, but you don't have to scream. I'm, I'm sitting right here in front of you. Uh, the meeting didn't end well. I messaged him the next day and said, we need, we need to talk about this. That was really inappropriate last night. And then three days later, got his resignation letter via email. So every now and then we get meetings like that. I, uh, your kids don't go to school with his kids or anything. Why you got to go there? (laughs) Hey, lesson learned out of this. Don't have hard meetings when you're hungry for lunch after church. Amen. Not a good idea. Um, I was part of a staff and elder board that was, I would say, um, embattled might be a good way to put it. There was, it, it had been two churches that had merged together and some pretty serious stuff happened and the fault lines between the two churches got exposed. And my, I was part of the team that came in and um, unfortunately the, just the way it worked out, that was never really dealt with. And so those those two groups of you know people that were from those two different churches that had merged a decade before were still part of the elder board. And so the elder board was made, I think it was like nine people on the elder board. It was a pretty big elder board. And for a church of like 70 people, I mean, that's a lot of elders. And it was made up of people, you know, half of them were from this church and half of them were from the other church that were now merged. And we were part of a a team that was there to kind of, you know, hopefully rebuild and whatever. And it just didn't work out. We were there for a two year, um, kind of a two year run and the last six months of it was just really bad. And so there was an elder meeting coming up in which I knew that at some point I was going to sort of bring to light things that were being said in, you know, side hallways and meetings after meetings. And it just needed to be said in, in the elder meeting. And I knew it probably wasn't going to go well because the people that I was essentially going to expose were not going to handle that well. And so they had been basically trying to get me and another staff pastor to essentially start a coup and start our own ministries behind the back of the senior pastor. And and the hard part was that I didn't agree with the senior pastor. And so I was stuck in that thing where people would come up to me after church and say, I don't think he knows what he's doing. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't think he does either. Um, now being in this seat, it's a little, I'm a little less, you know, confident about that. But at the time, uh, me and the other pastor were being approached by these elders specifically around the hiring process because we had an interim pastor and we were associates and we wanted to put our names in to be like co-senior pastors. And so we were told by the elders one thing and then by the the interim pastor another thing. It was all this drama. And the interim pastor was being criticized by some of these elders behind his back without his knowledge. And then in the elder meeting, these same people would say all the nice things to him. And so I basically went into the meeting and pointed at those two people and said, you and you have said this about him to me. And, um, you know, it didn't go, it didn't go well. There was shouting. I didn't shout, but I was just, they were, they well, were like, how to Baltimore. I did. They were like, how dare you bring this up? This isn't the time or the place. And I was like, this is exactly the time we're in the, we're in an elder meeting. This is exactly when we do this. So, you know, it just needed to happen because I could just sense how toxic it was for not only for like the elders and, you know, us as a staff, but also just that seeps down into the church, uh, into relationships and stuff. And so it just it it went about as bad as I thought it was going to go. So 
Um, you know, we we had reconciling conversations after that, but like Andrew said, I'm not on staff there anymore. Um, and you know, I, it left me in one of those situations. Where the lesson I learned, Frank, to go back to that was. It's possible to forgive people, but not trust them anymore. Um, it's possible, and I think pastors, you have to learn how to do this, especially if you leave a church under difficult situations. You don't want to harbor unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart towards people, but it's possible that you can forgive them and move on. But if the situation ever were to present itself, they're not safe people for you to trust again. Uh, and so that's kind of the... that's. That's my story, man. This main discussion was a bit of a downer. I mean, I mean, I mean, but the, I think the real yeah, I think, thanks, man. I think the reality is, is like you know, there's a there's a grander conversation happening, you know, within evangelicalism about like church hurt and like people being negatively affected by how the church has hurt them. But like, I think there's a perspective of like, you know, pastors being hurt as well and it's like we don't have and i don't know maybe this sounds like i'm not minimizing anyone's pain that was caused by church leaders towards them but i don't think people take into consideration some of the pain that we go through in terms of just caring for for people and stuff like that i think when 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 i when i hear what you said jeff um i think like our job our vocation is so insanely relational. Like so much of our job is about handling relationships, dealing with relationships, dealing with people's broken relationships. And I think that's why like when it comes to having difficult conversations, to be timid and passive is probably one of the most detrimental things you could do in your church. Because when it comes to relationships, the more you delay or bury or set aside the longer that that's going to fester to becoming a much more difficult thing than if you just have have the awkward conversation as early as you can and then hope for the best or 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 hope that at least in the in the the early and honest dialogue about it can lead to a better result than delaying it i mean so. I, the call to shepherd people is a call to be proactive in how you care about them you know, in the same way, like any of us would think about our wives or kids. Um, I don't like wait for my wife to tell me she has a need before I like care about her. You know, I'm asking her like, hey, how you, are you doing all right? Anything, you know, what's going on? You know, you have those conversations on the couch at night after the kids go to bed and you're asking how how you doing and um, or even your own kids. Like, you, you know, I mean, sometimes I do, but most of the time I don't wait for. I mean, even before I came over here I uh, to, to record this, I went home because I live in a parsonage and I saw my daughter was there and I said to her, hey, are you hungry? Do you need lunch? Do you need do you need something to eat? And I think that there's a there's a parallel to that. But the problem is that, you know, like you said, Frank, our whole vocation is set up on relationships. And so it's like what I feel like is I don't have much more capacity to have friendships outside of those relationships because all of my capacity is used up like my relational capacity is almost all used up with the relationships that I have inside the church and helping those and so to try to have like other friendships outside of that I frankly like don't have that much time for that whereas if I had a, another job I think I would have more time to just like hang out with friends and stuff when as a pastor a lot of that hang out with friends time is mixed with hanging out like, you know, I might go golfing with some friends, but because I'm a pastor, I'm probably going to go golfing with friends who also happen to be members of my church. So it's like that gets crossed over and and you don't get the space sometimes for the just the friendship stuff. And if they I'll don't be your go friend to your church, Jeff, I'm I'm here for you, buddy. I bet some golf could happen while we're uh, in February in Florida. Ooh, you know. If, Ooh. 100%. And if they call you and they they don't go to your church, chances are they still want to talk to you as a pastor. Yes. Just because, you know, they don't want to go to their, they don't want to bug their pastor with this because, yeah. you know, he's 55, 62, whatever it is, and you're at their life stage, so you might understand a little bit better. It's like, oh, dude. But we had, Melissa, I mentioned this a few episodes ago, but Melissa and I had a, a good friend die a few um, weeks ago, months ago, it was you know, in, in July, and um, the number of pastoral conversations that I had with people 
who go to their churches and they have pastors, but because he was our friend too, they wanted to have the pastoral conversations with me. And I get that, but it is exhausting, which is why I have friends with so many other pastors. And if you're not friends with pastors, you should come to the Practically Pastoring Conference and (laughs) make friends with pastors. That was so pro, man. Thank you. I've been practicing. That's really good. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to wrap up the show. Hey, guys, it was a great conversation. I think the biggest takeaway I have from this, even from our clergy cliff note to our main discussion, is that um, having good, safe friends is helpful. You know what I'm saying? Having people that you can talk to and having people that you can surround yourself with is going to help you with the kind of stressors of ministry as people have been distant and divided and they're making them ruder and bolder. And then as we have these difficult conversations, to be able to have friends that we can be able to talk to, to process this is going to be very, very, very useful and very helpful. And I know we keep joking about it, but this is why this podcast is here. This is why the Facebook group is here. And yeah, this is why we're doing the the, the conference. Uh, so if you, we want you, if you're listening to this podcast, we want you at the conference. So go to practicallypastoryconference.com. If you have any questions, reach out to us individually. Find us on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook at Practically Pastoring, and join our Facebook group. It's great. In fact, the the winners of the shirts that you know filled out a um, a review on Apple Podcast or sent us a voicemail, there the winners were chosen in the Facebook group this past week. So make sure you join the group and continue to give us a review and continue to um, send us your voicemails. But more importantly, we hope to see you next week. I'm Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Andrew Larson. Frank, I know you've been hating a lot on soda water and things like that recently, and I just <laughs> thought it'd be a, the appropriate time to come on here and say there's a there's a beverage called Spindrift, and it is sparkling water, but it has a twist. They put actual juice from fruit in it it's not just essence from natural oils so there's an actual fruit taste that goes along with this so if you'd like to give that a try it's called spindrift Um, that being said i'm timothy miller (laughs) and this is practically pastoring see you next time thanks for listening get connected to other pastors by joining the practically pastoring facebook group where we get to share ideas and make each other better